This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Paraswap. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. What What is up, everyone? What is up, my friends? You are listening and watching Untold Stories together, where twice a week we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders to find out how this, this whole crypto thing, how where we are today, how it came to be, and where we're going, I am your host, Charlie Shrem. Thank you guys for, for being here on another beautiful summer day. I'm very excited today because we have someone who's going to talk to us about a lot of fun topics. His name is Phil Geiger. He's the managing director of Concierge Services at Unchained Capital. And his team teaches clients how to hold private keys, how to be involved in personal retirement in, in, in business context. And Unchained Capital is a blockchain financial services company that lends cash to long-term crypto holders. It offers all types of different services, personal business, concierge services. It's been around since 2017, headquartered in Austin, Texas. Phil, thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories today. Charlie, thanks so much for having me, man. I'm really thrilled to be here today. You're a, you're a Bitcoiner. Before joining Unchained, you've, I, you know, anyone can, can Google and, and see in like the history you've always been helping curious people get into into Bitcoin. Did you find that your first time getting into Bitcoin was was a difficult one? That's right. I'm a Bitcoin man. Um, <laughs> I I find my I found myself kind of uh, in the right place at the right time with the right background. So at university, I studied economics and I got a, a degree in Keynesian economics. It never really made that much sense to me personally. It was a lot of charts, a lot of predictive uh, stuff that, you know, relied on a lot of assumptions that I didn't agree with. So I, after I graduated, I went into healthcare and was implementing healthcare software. And then I just happened to be at a bar in Madison, Wisconsin in 2014, where local grad students were giving presentations on just a variety of different topics. And I was lucky enough to have one grad student go up and give a presentation on the history of money leading up to Bitcoin. So because of my background and because, you know, I had kind of the economics and technology experience, this presentation in my mind really clicked and it immediately, you know, threw me down the rabbit hole and I've been stuck, stuck in the Bitcoin rabbit hole ever since. So, yep, been a longtime Bitcoiner. And today, one of my primary goals is to put private keys into the hands of as many people as possible, because I think everybody is capable of controlling their own wealth by holding on to their Bitcoin private keys. How do you see the average um, kind of investor uh, managing his life or her life uh, in the crypto world nowadays? Because yeah, you look it's definitely not your keys, not your crypto, but we're also in a DeFi world where a lot of people want to earn yield. So is there a perfect marriage? Is there a way for us to, I know like Dan Held is on is on Twitter all the time and he's constantly finding some of the lowest risk where best yields you can get where you're collateralizing your Bitcoin. But even so, if you're trying to collateralize your Bitcoin in the most decentralized way where you control your keys, the yields are not that great. Sure. Well, at Unchained Capital, we're a Bitcoin native financial services platform. So Love it. we work with people who are treating Bitcoin as their uh, multi-decade or multi-generational wealth. And we build all of our products and services off of the foundation of Bitcoin's 
smart contract technology, multi-sig. So we build Bitcoin addresses that are controlled by three keys instead of typically one key. And we can distribute those keys to be able to do a variety of different financial services. So we start with our vault platform, which just helps clients not lose their Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is one of the most asymmetric bets that we've ever seen in the history of humanity. But you only get to uh, reap the rewards of that asymmetry if you don't lose your Bitcoin for five to 10 years. Sounds simple, but it's actually pretty know, difficult, I, especially I keep my private if you're... key on my ring. There you go. <laughs> Anyone can take that. Try, try taking that private key. There's a BIP38 encryption right there, though. Yeah, so we uh, we help, uh, my team in particular, helps people go from never holding keys in their life to cold storage multi-sig addresses where you have a majority of the keys. And then, yes, from there, we move on to our different financial services. So one of the things that we're extremely excited about announcing is uh, we are launching an Unchained IRA product, a Bitcoin IRA, where from one spot, you can uh, roll your retirement, you know, for your legacy 401ks or IRAs into this new Bitcoin IRA where you have Bitcoin deposited into an address that you have unilateral and permissionless over, uh, ownership over. Now, when Wait, it comes say to that our, again. Say yeah, that again. So uh, within the next few weeks, we are launching our Unchained IRA product where you can, you know, get set up with one place, uh, Unchained Capital. You initiate a rollover from your existing kind of legacy 401k or IRA uh, into the Unchained Capital account where we convert it into Bitcoin. We deposit it into an address that you have two out of three private keys to, meaning you have unilateral control over it. And the Bitcoin maintains that tax advantage status. How? So we just brought on Jeff Vandrew, um, who for the last, I think, five or six years was the lead of KeyKeeper IRA. Uh, we were we formed a really great partnership with his team and just realized that we could be better together. So we brought him on board and now we're building out that one-stop shop for tax advantage retirement Bitcoin. Um, but there's no compromises, right? You're at the end of the day holding on to your own keys so that you know if you have a Roth IRA, for example, your Bitcoin is increasing you know, exponentially over the next 10 years or whatever, and you've already paid taxes on it. So you don't have to pay any capital gains taxes on withdrawing that once you've hit that retirement age. So if I own no Bitcoin now and I wanted to buy some Bitcoin and I've not reached my IRA contribution limit for the, for the year, it is in my best interest to actually buy the Bitcoin through the tax advantage account up to the certain limit as opposed to actually just buying the Bitcoin directly, because in this situation, you get certain tax breaks at the end of the year when you're buying it through the IRA, as opposed to even buying the Bitcoin directly. But if I understand you correctly, you're not just buying a, a, a product that securitizes something in the company or whatever. You're actually creating an address, putting the Bitcoin in an address that one-to-one -one matches what I'm you know, how much I put into this IRA. That's, that's crazy. That's exactly right. So you are literally holding the keys to your retirement. Not only are you holding the keys to your Bitcoin, Shit. but now you, you have all the benefits of the, you know, of the legacy kind of retirement legal structure. Which Question. In the Roth, yeah. If this was in a trust, can a trustee manage the Bitcoin by selling, buying and selling the IRA? Like, how would that work? 
in a, in retirement accounts, in terms of trust, in terms of managing that? This is very cool. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't have specific answers for you. So at Unchained, we work in many different contexts. So if you do have a trust, uh, you're, of course, welcome to come to us and set up an account that is legally owned by your trust. But at the end of the day, again, you have the private keys. Um, and then I'm not sure within that legal structure if your trust can have an IRA or a 401k, something like that. I don't have an IRA. We do have a... I don't have an IRA or 401k. I don't think I've ever we're, had we're a making, real job before. Yeah, we're making Bitcoin IRAs sexy, you know, because you get to yeah. actually hold the keys. And what, what I think is really amazing is uh, the Roth structure where you, you know, if you're earning Tell a paycheck. Tell us. Explain yeah, it to me. Okay. If you're earning a paycheck, you know, you get your paycheck. Um, if you've saved up in your personal checking account, you know, $6,000 a year through a, uh, an unchained Roth IRA, you can convert all of that into Bitcoin. And then uh, you don't pay capital gains taxes on it as it increases in value. Um, so that's that's kind of amazing. Um, $6,000 per 12, year. 12000 if I'm married too? Uh, I think it's whatever the number is. There's a, yeah, there's a married I, filing jointly number. So you're saying let's just... Uh, so I can buy up to $6,000 more if I'm married. Well, I am married, so more because I'm married. And you're saying I can do $10,000 a year over 10 years. Let's just say the number is $100,000. If that $100,000 turns into a million, when it turns into a million, 10 million, 100 million, because it was purchased within that IRA, I'll never need to pay capital gains on that ever. Assuming the government, assuming uh, blah blah blah. Yeah, there's the a lot of like this know. is not financial <laughs> advice, educational purposes only. We're not your accountants, course, yeah. but this is crazy. This yeah, is awesome. So assuming these rules are still upheld, yeah, of course. When, you never at the know. time that we we retire, uh, yes, you wouldn't have to pay any capital gains taxes. And then on top of that, again, you hold the private keys. So, you know, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. You have to literally authenticate a transaction. To move the Bitcoin out of the addresses. Who holds who holds the other two? So in in our vault setup, and again, this works for personal, this retirement context I'm talking about, trusts, uh, business context, Unchained Capital holds one private key, our clients hold two keys, and two out of three keys are needed to move Bitcoin out of the address. So once it's set up, it looks like any other Bitcoin address. Yeah. But getting the Bitcoin out of the address requires signatures from two keys, and our clients hold two out of three. So Unchained Capital, uh, this is kind of the, the amazing aspect of our, of our platform. And this is what really is different about um, Bitcoin financial services versus this DeFi idea is that Unchained Capital doesn't need to exist and our clients can recover their funds unilaterally because they have two out of three private keys. When you're working in the DeFi context, you're really still trusting a centralized party. If that centralized party disappears, you're out of whatever tokens you're trading. So that's the major difference. And that's what we think is really what protects our clients is that as a company, Unchained Capital is never a critical single point of failure for our clients. We don't need to exist. Clients can recover their funds because we're Bitcoin native. This is coming back pretty in a pretty big way. Bitcoin native companies, companies operating in hyper, hyper decentralization. Um, it was the only way to run run a business for years in the early days. But over the last few years, we kind of lost that. You stop seeing proof of reserves being so big, proof of coin, you know, not your keys, not your crypto. If you look at it on, on social media rankings. It, so it's very heartening to see that it's coming back in such a big way because we see, we see the negativity around 
um, what could happen. These $600 million hacks are happening. But also, I think because Bitcoin has been around a decade now, there's a belief and it's it's a trality that um, Bitcoin will be around, will be probably around for the next, for decades and decades and decades to come. So it's now getting into the, into the heads of, of the, the Bitcoiner folk. And I want to talk about this like Bitcoiner uh, voting block or, or like, so, you know, class, this is like a, a, a person uh, is now having to think about, hey, how do we protect ourselves for the future? Yeah, definitely. Over the last, I would say, year or so, uh, things in, in Bitcoin have really shifted. You know, a lot of times, uh, historically, Bitcoiners were called out as, hey, you know, weird or crazy or, uh, oh, it's a Ponzi scheme. And just in the last few months, you know, Bitcoiners held up a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. And now the politicians are all talking and scrambling uh, to learn about Bitcoin. So things have come. And I imagine you've seen it even more than I have. Uh, you know, I, when I first started, I couldn't even imagine, um, you know, the, the level that it's achieved so quickly. Uh, you know, I remember back in the day on Reddit when CNBC would say anything about Bitcoin, the price would pump and it would be yeah. pump 20 or 30 bucks and everyone would lose their minds. And now, you know, mainstream media just basically has their own Bitcoin channels that they're covering at 24, 7, 365. And it's, you know, but the you know countries are adopting Bitcoin. As El Salvador is about to, you know, add it as a second currency alongside the dollar, and yeah, U.S. politicians are are all discussing it. So it's come a, an extremely long way in a, in a very short amount of time. It's very cool to see. It's a monetization event. None of us has have ever been alive alive to I witness know, a monetization event. So, why are people buying Bitcoin? People are buying Bitcoin because they're tired of running on the hamster wheel and having their savings devalued arbitrarily by unelected bureaucrats. Bitcoin that. is not the ability, in my perspective, Bitcoin didn't give everybody the ability to launch and run their own currency. At the surface level, it kind of looks like that. In my opinion, Bitcoin gives everybody the opportunity to opt out of arbitrarily debased currencies. So opt out of people who print money and steal your savings without asking your permission. It's it's almost like such a simple thing, the way we explain it. And it seems like such a, uh, I can't believe that we were ever in a financial system that you could not opt out of pre-2009. I can't, I what did we do? How did people save money? How did people protect their, their assets against, you know, like if you would have, I can't imagine a world of stimulus without Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. What would it look like? Where would excess money go? What would people be doing with their stimulus checks? That's a great question. I think uh, one of the books that I read this year uh, was The Deficit Myth, which is about modern monetary theory and coming to MMT from a Bitcoiner's perspective, it just seems so dystopian. Yeah, yeah, they believe that they they believe that we all you know work our day jobs and try to earn a living so mm -hmm. that we can pay taxes. Like that's the the kind of primary assumption of it. And without Bitcoin, we would all be trapped on this hamster wheel, and that's how it would work. Luckily, MMT totally collapses when there's an exit, and there is an exit, and it's called Bitcoin. The thing is, though, 
for the last 10 years, it's just been a small hole. And yeah, it's been leaking, but that hole is getting bigger. I would even say that it's become unlike closable. It's, it's just become this thing now that it used to be that we'd say Bitcoin will provide a hedge. And the fact that there is the option that you can opt out, that will be enough to keep the current financial systems honest and have integrity in a perfect Bitcoin world, right? Bitcoin will be remain like a niche thing that will be like a, hey, we can opt out. Like gold. We're always comparing it to digital gold. Now, no one ever assumed or says gold should ever take over. Even the biggest gold bugs in the world will never say that. But it seems to me now, and there's a lot of fear with this, that Bitcoin could actually take such a major slice of that MMT financial system that we have now, could it collapse? Well, it's my perspective that as long as Bitcoin can maintain a credible monetary policy of 21 million, and I, I believe that money converges to one, you know, most of the world for their yeah. daily lives, they just want to deal with one currency. You don't want to always be exchanging different currencies. You just want to be able to do your day job, save in a form of money that can't be debased, and then spend that value on goods and services in the future. So it's my perspective that if Bitcoin can maintain its you know, monetary policy of 21 million, then it will become the global reserve currency. And that's the assumption that I've kind of yeah. uh, personally lived on. So I've, I've personally converted to a Bitcoin standard. I'm never going back to the dollar. I, I'm not interested in other cryptocurrencies simply because I have no need for them. I already have the currency that has the optimal monetary policy, which is one that can't be arbitrarily, arbitrarily changed by anyone. And from there, you know, now I'm working at a company that is helping me to protect, manage, and grow my Bitcoin wealth over generations. So I've really, you know, personally started to transition over to the Bitcoin standard. Of course, I'll still pay for my bills in dollars because if people are demanding dollars, um, I'll give them dollars. I don't want to spend my Bitcoin. But, uh, you know, when people start demanding me to pay them in Bitcoin, that's when I'll have to start spending my Bitcoin. The biggest problem with DeFi today as we know it is there are simply no aggregators or way to bring all of this information and data together so we can trade off of it. We're going to Uniswap and we're clicking sell, sell, sell or buy, buy, buy. I mean, imagine staying up till two o'clock in the morning just so you can make a trade. The folks at Paraswap, my newest sponsor, are doing exactly that. They are the fastest and most liquid aggregator on the Ethereum blockchain. They've built a state-of-the-art algorithm that aggregates all the major decentralized exchanges in order to beat the market price. They are willing to offer you on your first swap a 50% gas refund. Check it out in the show notes. I mean, there's no reason not to use PowerSwap. It's the same thing as using any of these other sites, but you're getting a better price, zero slippage, better swap, safer, faster, more secure. Uh, what's what's the downside? There is none that I could think of. And you're getting your first swap, 50% gas fees paid for. It solves every problem that I could think of. Make sure you check them out. They're my sponsors. I love them. And I love them even more that they're pushing crypto forward. I had a crazy realization this morning, actually. And I was just thinking to myself, I said, wow, over the last, I don't know, five years, the biggest, the biggest, the asset that I, that I hold that has devalued the most is dollars. 
dollars have gone down more than than Bitcoin does. And Bitcoin has had 80% drawdowns. The dollar hasn't. So the point is that you're right. You're I'm thinking about it now. I'm like, wow, like everything that I bought 10 years ago is over double price now. The cost double than it did. The, not in the, the housing market has collapsed, Everything. you know, 75% yeah. measured in Bitcoin over the last three years. <laughs> it's like everyone's everyone's complaining about the high price of housing around the world. Um, but it's because they're using the wrong currency to measure that. Uh, they're measuring it in dollars, which are, to your point, just losing value at an unprecedented rate. I mean, the, the Federal Reserve printed trillions of dollars over the last two years. Um, of course, it's going to devalue and everything is going to go up. The thing that really makes me crazy about uh, the legacy system is the price of groceries increasing um, around the world. Yeah, you know, we're seeing we, the U.S. a lot of times exports inflation, and you know, here in the U.S., a lot well, of times that's the dollar. The Literally exporting yeah. inflation—that's the whole point of the dollar. We just exported our inflation on the world. That's yeah. what we did during stimulus. We said, "Fuck you, world. We're just gonna." Americans are going to be great. They're going to get stimulus checks, but the rest of the world ain't. Well, and this is the, the thing that kind of keeps me up at night is where we, we have a lot of hubris because we have the global reserve currency for now, but it's my perspective that Bitcoin is the new global reserve currency. And so it's going to catch a lot of Americans off guard. Um, money, just, you know, one currency doesn't just get to be the global reserve currency forever. We've seen over time, many different currencies, you know, gold and silver, and even before that, you know, beads and stuff like that. Um, even just before the dollar, it was the the British pound. That was the global reserve. Oh, currency. from the year the 800 to the years, from 800 to maybe 1500, the British pound was the world standard. Before that, I, I'm, I read a lot of medieval history so I could tell you that that every six, seven hundred years, the global standard for money changes. Yep. Why is this time and different? It's not. <laughs> <laughs> we've been we've been on a, a, a grand experiment since about 1971. Um, so there's a great website out there called WTF happened in 1971.com. I'm sure your listeners have also seen. No, that, I've but, not seen this. I'm um, going on it right now. Oh, my WTF. God. It's, great. it's just a website. WTF happened in 1971.com. It's a website of just, uh, you know, there's charts. And in 1971, something happens and there's a huge disconnect uh, moving forward. So up until today. And, you know, the the website not so subtly hints that the fact that um, things go wonky in 1971 is because that's when the US dollar was finally removed from gold. So it's no longer redeemable from for gold. And as a result, prices go crazy and lots of different kind of... Um, cultural outcomes occur. Uh, so yeah, you can give that website a, uh, a read and come to your own conclusions, but it's my perspective that the thing that happened in 1971 is that the world moved off of a sound money standard onto floating inflation paper money. And luckily now Bitcoin uh, gives us an alternative. It, it Because it has a fixed supply of 21 million that can't be debased by anyone, It now we now have a money that the world can use to communicate across borders uh, permissionlessly that does an excellent job of storing and measuring value. Here is the million dollar question, right? What if we never, what if in 1971, it never happened? What if here we are in 2020 on the same standard as we were? And what if now, whatever happened in 1971 happened now, 
but on a Bitcoin standard, because you can argue that Bitcoin is that same type of inflationary money. It's, it's completely disconnected from the gold standard. So instead of going to paper, what if paper money was just 50 years too early? Ooh, that's a good hypothetical. Um, I think I think paper money is is the manifestation of gold's failure. Gold is good in a lot of ways, but because it's physical, it makes it extremely hard to scale. You know, you can't just be shipping gold around yeah. to make uh, you know payments for glasses of you know for for bottles of water and then also for uh, you know seven forty sevens. Right, that's a lot of <laughs> difference in gold. So you really need something that um, hold, that can't be debased and can be you know yeah. divided up and sent anywhere permissionlessly. Which is so to go, kind of go back, like the the current system is a manifestation of gold's failure as money because of its physicality, and that's why Bitcoin is you know a, a zero to one innovation. It's categorically better across all of the kind of principles of money that you need. Um, it's you know has zero inflation. There's only going to be twenty one million. Uh, you can you can divide it up into sats, you know, 100 million pieces each. Uh, so you can buy a cup of coffee and you can buy a 747 with Bitcoin. And then uh, you can send it anywhere you want around the world and it settles with final settlement in 10 minutes. I mean, that's... Again, that's what people don't realize. Innovation. You can't actually use the same payment system to buy a cup of coffee than, and you can to buy a 747. If you right now had someone made you an offer to buy a 747, there's a process to, you have certain, there's paperwork and legalities and compliance and how you actually pay for that and certain types of letters of credit and collateralization. You can't send a wire transfer to to do that, even a smaller plane, but you can, and then you can't send a wire transfer to buy a cup of coffee either. You're relying on the payment rails of Visa, MasterCard, nice star. You know, you look at your old debit cards, guys. You look at your, it would say, those are the ATM networks, Venmo. They're all on top of these old systems. Whereas what you said is so brilliant. You have one system that allows for a, a completely, it doesn't matter who you are or where you are or what you are, you're allowed into the system without needing to, to ask for permission. That's right. You can buy a, a, you know, a gumball. <laughs> and then you know, at the end of that, that meeting, you know, you're walking away with a Lamborghini and one gumball and you've used the same currency in the same form of uh, payment. <laughs> I think that's pretty cool. In a, in a, we're continuing to go through this, this Bitcoin world. And uh, it seems to me, it seems to not just to me, but to a lot of folks that are studying the last 10 years of Bitcoin's price, stock to flow model um, and its adoption, it seems like we are on track for that experiment that Satoshi, Hal Finney talked about, whereas we need to see like a million dollar of Bitcoin by, I forget if it was like 2035, and then the year 2150, because in 2035, 99% of all Bitcoin will be, we're on that route. Is that kind of like, when will we actually hit a point where we're at a Bitcoin standard I guess where volatility is equaled out and things can be priced in Bitcoin eventually? I'm excited for that. Yeah, I, I know it's inevitable, but I have no idea when. You know, what I'll say today is we have at, at this point, you know, in the year 2021, Bitcoin is a large enough, uh, there's a large enough cohort of people that are passionate about it that we can hold up bills in Congress. That's crazy. I do believe that in 2024, uh, or I guess in the Senate this time, but it will we'll hold it up in Congress as well. We'll make sure of that. Um, I think in 2024, 
the presidential election, both sides are going to be talking about Bitcoin. And then it's my perspective that the dollar probably won't last until 2030. So in Bitcoin terms, it's two halvening cycles, right? 2024 is when every 10 minutes, the block reward gets cut in half from 6.25 to 3.125. And then in 2028, it gets cut in half again. And you know, based on the trajectory that we've already come and how far we have to go, I think it's going to be a lot faster than we uh, than we expect. So I, I really don't think the dollar is going to be super useful in the year 2030 uh, because they just can't help themselves. They can't help but print more money. And but I'm an American. You're an yeah. American too. We love this country. America has staked its existence on the dollar. Other countries like French, France has done it with baguettes. You know, I'm just <laughs> England has done it with bad food. I'm just joking, guys. I love I love British food. Um, what what's America without the dollar? And how does that? Because I'm I listen. I agree with you. I'm asking the questions that the listeners are shaking right now, scared. It's actually my perspective that central banking itself, as a concept, is extremely un-American. Um, if you read the Communist oh God, Man- so Manifesto, right. you know number five or something on the list of top ten things to do is centralize control of currency into a, a third party, um, because that that central authority can essentially just unilaterally absorb the purchasing power of all the people in a country to be able to you know allocate the wealth uh, how they deem appropriate. Um, I think that that's profoundly un-American. I actually think that Bitcoin is significantly more American than the current iteration of the U.S. dollar. I think the U.S. dollar, when it was founded, upheld some of those ideal ideals of sovereignty and, um, you know, and that that the U.S. was founded on. But I think that that's been lost over time, just through the natural centralization problems that all other currencies have besides Bitcoin. They centralize over time, and once they become centralized, they can become controlled. And once they're controlled, that's no longer um, you know, sovereign. So I do think that this concept of central banking is is pretty un-American. I think Bitcoin itself, because it relies on uh, individual responsibility to hold your own keys, um, it, it doesn't treat anybody in the world differently, regardless of how much Bitcoin you have. Uh, you, you have the same amount of influence over the network itself. Uh, so I think it's significantly more fair and uh and at the same time it um kind of brings us back to our more sovereign uh roots so i I actually think bitcoin is significantly more american than the u.s dollar is today Uh, again that changed over time when the u.s dollar was first released of course it was very american but what it's become is it's been a reoccurring very communist yeah bitcoin is as american as apple pie hell yeah so Central banking, you know, if I tweeted that central banking is is as communist, you know, is is communist or something of that form, I'd get, I'd get, you know, a huge amount of Bitcoiners actually against me, uh, saying that's potentially central banking, whatever, whatever. How do we prevent Bitcoin from becoming this partisan issue? Uh, you talk about Bitcoin being at the presidential on the presidential stage. Will yeah. it become a partisan issue? Will one side? It seems like it's becoming more of a Republican uh, uh, sovereign because I'm a big fan of so- sovereignty and, you know, and that's what we talk about on this show. It's all we talk about on the show. And I actually want to ask you, remind me to ask you, but my next question about that, one of the tools that you offer, 
But I mean, how do we prevent it from becoming a partisan thing? Well, my question for you is, is the internet partisan? I don't, well, now it's not, but was it when it first came out? I, I, I've not, I'm not up to speed on the history of the internet as, as much as I should be. And actually, I've had internet folks on the show. I should have asked them that question. I'm going to write that down. But now it's not. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so my, because my perspective it's a tool. is that it's what? It's a tool. Exactly. Yeah, my perspective is that Bitcoin, again, what I mentioned earlier is that one of the innovations is that regardless of how much Bitcoin you have, you exert the same amount of influence over the network as anyone else, which is almost zero. That's one of the innovations. Again, nobody can arbitrarily change or debase the currency. So it's my perspective that Bitcoin is maybe the most apolitical technology that exists. Now, what is really funny about it is Bitcoin unites authoritarians on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. So there are Republicans that hate Bitcoin and there are Democrats that hate Bitcoin. And then the opposite is true as well. There's Republicans that love Bitcoin, Democrats that love Bitcoin. Um, the people who are united in their hatred of Bitcoin are typically the ones who are the most authoritarian. They don't want to give up control or power. Um, so I actually like that. I think it's profoundly apolitical. It uh, it unites people. And what many politicians are, are realizing is that um, they can tap into this rabid fan base um, across the aisle. It's bipartisan. Uh, it's funny, there's, there's a, a woman running for Congress in Brad Sherman's district in California. Good. And because she isn't Brad Sherman, there's a lot of Bitcoiners out there that are funding her campaign and educating her on Bitcoin. And so, you know, it's, uh, it's cool to see people rallying around uh, representatives that oppose the authoritarians. There's a lot of people out there who don't want to live in a, in a world where money isn't controlled by a central bank. They like central banks. They see it as protecting their long-term future. Um, what would you say to these people? Typically, those people are uh, profit significantly off of the Cantillon effect. And the Cantillon effect says that if you are closest to the money printer, you are typically at an advantage, you, you have an advantage over the rest of society. So the people who really, really like central banking are typically in the industries that reap the most rewards from uh. central banking. So <laughs> finance, uh, healthcare, insurance, um, all of those mega industries that get the get access to the money spigot earliest love central banking because again, they get access to cheaper money without having to actually exert the proof of work that maybe the rest of the economy loves. But if you talk to, you know, the guy who's, um, you know, your barista, you know, they probably don't have any thoughts on, on central banks. They just want to be able to uh, make coffee and save and, you know, live in a nice apartment and afford groceries and go out to dinner and go on vacation, right? They just want to like live their life. But the central bank is the thing that's making that increasingly more unachievable over time because the value of their wages are decreasing at a faster rate than they're earning. The, the crazy thing about, about Bitcoin is that it doesn't matter how close you are to the money printer, you know, if, if you're mining or if you're holding. But it also, more importantly, it doesn't matter how early you got in as it relates to like how much power or control you have. It's a, we're a leaderless, we're like an anti-hero to a point where like our we have this like thing about our community that we will, we will constantly be pulling down anyone who even resembles that hero. 
like Elon Musk, take that for example, tries to become the hero of Bitcoin, immediately gets pissed off because we won't allow him to be. Uh, and it's just like a great, I love that. I love that. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I was talking to some colleagues about that. I mean, Elon Musk uh, blew his one shot at, at crushing Bitcoin, I think, yeah. when he was tweeting about it while it was crashing from 60 to 30K. And, you know, I think that also happened to coincide when the Chinese miners were uh, leaving China and moving to the U.S. So there was a couple different factors there. But uh, now Bitcoin is immune to Elon Musk. There's nothing that Elon Musk can tweet that is going to cause Bitcoin to uh, crash in value. He, he, and, and the same thing happens with anything that attacks Bitcoin is, you know, they might be able to um, cause the, the weak hands to, to run away, but they don't kill it, right? Whatever doesn't kill Bitcoin makes it stronger because Bitcoin is an anti-fragile system because Bitcoin increases in decentralization over time. As Bitcoin, uh, you know, as the price fluctuates and doesn't die, it introduces Bitcoin to a new cohort of people who are now buying it. And uh, that process makes Bitcoin significantly stronger. And then, yeah, to your point, uh, you know, since there's no leader, uh, people who are newer to Bitcoin, um, they get to reap the reward of the, the fixed monetary policy at the same way that um, everyone else gets, gets that reward, right? If, you're, if your $10 doubles in value, um, that's great, right? Same thing if your you know, million dollar doubles in value, uh, yeah. you're still benefiting. You know, the, the people who took the risk earlier, of course, are going to have a little bit more benefit. But again, Bitcoin was significantly less clear back in the day when you first started uh, getting into it or when we first started getting into it than it is today. Today, it's the risk has been reduced really significantly. Oh my God, yeah. It's like not yeah. even, it's not even in the, per the same percentage range as it was back then. You know, exactly. back then we were building out tools and it was before, you know, the price was even a thing. And, and we, we talk about like dollar standard, Bitcoin standard, we talk about money. And um, at the end of the day, let's agree on something. At the end of the day, money is just a tool to live in, in a free, amazing life for you and your family where no one can, 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 I hate to say it, but have your balls in their hands. Cause that's actually what I felt like when I was under, going through the whole judicial system. I was like, it's like constantly, and you hate that feeling. It's like, you know, constantly your life is in control of someone else. So we do this, we wake up every day. I do this podcast. So we, we preach Bitcoin. You, you spend your days with a smile on your face because you know that you're helping people live a better, freer, safer life where they're making their own decisions. How can we use Bitcoin to get us to that point? I had this argument with a family member the other day because he has Bitcoin and he's living to paycheck to paycheck. And I said, use your Bitcoin, take out a loan. And just so you can, as a down payment on a house, you don't need to sell the Bitcoin. But there's like this, this like not wanting to do that. Yeah, and, and that's a, a kind of a nice introduction to one of our, our products at Unchained. So as I mentioned earlier at Unchained Capital, uh, we work with long-term Bitcoin holders to protect, manage, and grow their Bitcoin wealth. And uh, as many of us realize, you know, the longer you're in Bitcoin, the less uh, likely you are to sell Bitcoin. And in fact, you end up accumulating more and uh, you don't want to sell it because then you miss out on the potential upside. Uh, so one of our products is a Bitcoin-backed loan product where you post your Bitcoin as collateral, again, in a multi-signature address where you as a client hold one key, Unchained Capital holds a key, and we introduce a third-party key agent to hold the third key. 
so that there's no single points of failure for your Bitcoin for the duration of the loan. You know exactly where it's sitting and you can even check your address so on cool. your hardware wallet to make sure that you have a key to it. Um, the way, so, you know, you, you post your Bitcoin as collateral into this uh, multi-sig address. We can wire uh, U.S. dollars directly to your bank account. And then you can use those dollars for any legal purposes. So, you know, real estate purchases or um, Are these I like, personally used it to, you know, remodel yeah. a house, stuff like interest that. Interest only loans or do you do like principal and interest, like long term type loans? So the the loans, the way that they work today, we have um, it, it's interest only payments. So you upfront, you'll pay an origination fee. And then uh, once a month, you'll make your interest only payment and then at the loan term you have the option to roll it over into another loan so you know you just pay another origination fee oh, and then cool. continue making those interest only payments or at the the loan term you can of course liquidate collateral to pay off the principal or during that time you can be sending in principal payments early so if you want to pay off or pay down some of your loan um you're welcome to do that as well do you custodialize but this can be a, um, oh go ahead do you custodialize physical crypto too? Like old old school, like uh, Cassatius coins and things like that? No. So as, as a company, Unchained Capital never wants to be a single point of failure for our clients. So we hold one key, right? Even in the context of loans, if Unchained Capital, if the government shut down all Bitcoin companies tomorrow, um, our clients would be able to work with the third party key agent that uh, works as an escrow in a variety of different industries. And they aren't Bitcoin exclusive by design, um, they, our clients would be able to work with the third-party key agent to recover their funds. So again, you know, part of our, our security posture as a company is that we never want to be a critical single point of failure for our clients, but we do want to partner with our clients to be able to offer uh, financial services. So you know, again, that unchained IRA or a loan so or cool. using our OTC desk to purchase and sell Bitcoin directly through us. Um, but yeah, it's all from this foundation of holding your own keys and uh, multi-signature. It's it's allowing everyone to to main to to continue growing uh, their wealth and maintaining their sovereignty without having to sacrifice centralization. And you're offering a service and products on top of that. And I think that's, that's right. where everyone's going. Phil, yeah, I think the yeah. the big difference. Uh, just maybe I'll leave leave us with this if we have if we're wrapping up on time. But the big difference is you know when you're working with Unchained Capital, you know exactly where your Bitcoin is. If you're working with some of our competitors in the crypto lending or DeFi or uh, that type of space, you're sending your Bitcoin into a black box and you're hoping that you'll be able to get it out in the future. But all of those companies are taking client deposits, commingling them, lending them out or rehypothecating is what it's calling that or is what that's called. Uh, and at Unchained, we don't do that. Your Bitcoin sits in a multi-sig address. You can see it right there on the blockchain. You have a key to it. Um, you're not going to lose the Bitcoin through some sort of you know, hack, uh, it's significantly more secure than the alternatives. What's the so, loan yeah, to again, value? We're, we're very, uh, loan to value today is 40%. So if you're going to take a $10,000 loan out, you're putting $25,000 of print of uh, collateral up. Um, and we, we actually recently just, uh, moved to that LTV because, uh, we were running into the scenario where even during Bitcoin bull markets, the Bitcoin, the price of Bitcoin will crash, you know, 30% occasionally. Yeah. We just saw that from 60 to 30 K. Uh, we're still in a bull market, but uh, even so, uh, the price is, you know, crashes pretty significantly. So we wanted to help our clients avoid the the scenario where they take out a loan and then immediately get margin called because the price of Bitcoin crashes. So we're very conservative with our uh, LTV. We're conservative with, um, you know, 
making sure keys are distributed and not rehypothecating anything. Because again, our one of our primary functions is to help our clients not lose their Bitcoin. Um, so come to us if you're really thinking about Bitcoin for decades or generations. I am coming to you. All right. And I am thinking about Bitcoin for generations and for generations every single day. Uh, Phil Geiger, thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories today. You're the managing director of concierge services at Unchained Capital. And we've Wow, we covered a lot of topics today. Thank you and uh, appreciate it. And I hope to see you soon. Yeah, Charlie, thanks so much for having me, man. Glad to be here.